Hello and welcome to End Credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm your host, Adam A. Donaldson, and joining me today is... Uh, the one and only Candice LePage. Oh, could you imagine if there were two? Mm-hmm. Hopefully <laughs> the, the only Candice in Canada that people are talking about. Oh, that's I see. That's probably not true, but I, that's I okay. See. I see what you did there, um, but that seems like a topic for another CFRU show <laughs> that I may or may not be involved in. But oh well, we'll uh, we'll we'll save the Murphy Brown jokes for today. End credits is a local movie show for local movie fans. We are here every Wednesday at 3 p.m. to talk the latest in pop culture and review the newest movies, which this week will be the new horror legacy sequel Scream, which you can now see at a theater near you. Uh, Before that, though, uh, after we recorded last week's show, um, actually, right after the Super Bowl, too, it was super weird. Like, it was, uh, everyone was talking Super Bowl online, and then the news broke that Ivan Reitman passed away, which is um, super sad uh, for for those of us of a certain generation, uh, well-regarded Canadian filmmaker, a uh, graduate of McMaster University with a Bachelor of Music, I might add. Um, he is a has a, had a long history, a long, um, I guess, coattails of influence that a lot of people rode through the years. Um, it's interesting. Uh, Retro Ontario posted a interview with Ivan Reitman in, I guess, it was after Ghostbusters came out. But he was talking about how he got fired from City TV in the 70s. And I mean, if you if you were old enough to remember City TV in like the 70s and 80s, or if you if, if you um, conspicuously can some consume a lot of retro Ontario, you probably get the, the get the idea. City TV in the 70s and 80s was kind of this free for all where anything went. It was like grimy it was improvisational it was uh we'll we'll throw anything at the wall to see what sticks and to think that ivan reitman was maybe (laughs) too much for city what what did moses have specifically against ivan reitman because it must have been it must have been a personal beef because it certainly wouldn't have been anything about his uh you know the what he was producing for for city he lasted six months he was there for six months. He, he, he said the story. Um, and it just, it, it boggles my mind. Anyway, uh, that is a topic for another day. We are going to spend the first part of our show, though, talking about uh, choosing three different Ivan Reitman movies that he either directed or produced or wrote um, that are not Ghostbusters because... Um, so much of, I think, of his career has been eclipsed by this one thing that I always want to point this out when talking about Ghostbusters. It was a happy accident. It came together in like 12 months. It was lightning in a bottle. And people are still convinced, how many years is it? 30, <laughs> 40 years later, that it was like meant to be. And it's like every, in every other reality, Ghostbusters doesn't work. But in this one, it did. It was a miracle. And you cannot franchise it. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's my Ghostbusters rant. All right. Apparently, we, we got a little bonus there. 
<laughs> but I mean, it's 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 fine. It, you know, he I I like Ghostbusters. It is, uh, you know, it, it was a formidable movie, but I, I do not think Ivan Reitman's career can be summed up in its totality with Ghostbusters. So this is this is this is the list that is dedicated to that in Ivan Reitman's honor. So, Candace, why don't you give us your first pick? Sure. So um, uh, all three of my films are actually all directed by Ivan Reitman. I know you sort of opened it up to, to the entire body of his work, but uh, mm-hmm. I, I am I'm quite happy just, you know, you know, finding things that he's got. What is it like? almost 20 films I think that he directed. So there's certainly mm-hmm. lots to choose from there. So, and, and on top of that, I would say that while Ivan Reitman is um, definitely well-known for comedy mm-hmm. um, and all of these films that I've, that I've chosen are comedic, they also, <laughs> they're all um, like, you know, a different subgenre of comedy, I will say too, or like a different, uh, you know, uh, a slash comedy and, and whatever. So the first one that uh, I don't I don't actually know if this film is maybe underrated or if people just sort of forget that it exists but um, Dave <gasps> really interesting yes yes Go on I really really loved this film um, it's uh, so uh, Kevin Klein uh, who is great all the time mm-hmm. and everything uh, plays uh, a, a lookalike of the the American president. Mm-hmm. And so they have to swap places. And you might think, didn't I see this movie already with like some other people? Because I feel like this sort of thing has happened a few times. <laughs> I don't know if Dave is like the first one or the best one or whatever, but it's just, um, I don't, I, I don't know. It just, it always stuck with me. And it feels like the beginning of that kind of making making politics funny mm-hmm. as opposed to before like politics, like political films were always political thrillers or political dramas mm-hmm. and to have political like comedy was sort of a, a weird thing for, for a film. Mm-hmm. It basically just existed on Saturday night live. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, Sigourney Weaver is in this uh, Sigourney Weaver also always good in mm-hmm. everything um and always nice to see her since we're not uh, talking ghostbusters <laughs> where she she is fantastic in that film um she's also very good at dave she's just uh she's just in charge she's just always in charge mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i want sigourney weaver to run my life i think <laughs> <laughs> uh well what's she up to right now maybe she's not doing anything <laughs> who knows who knows uh well it's interesting you should mention dave because it is also one of my picks mm-hmm. uh, because... i do worry we might have some similar <laughs> well i can assure you that that's uh i the, my other two picks are, are things he produced because okay. i i do want to highlight that he had like a broader range of interests because a lot of his uh his movies are like are comedies um and kind of slapsticky comedies however Dave is not one of those. It is a funny movie, but it is not funny in the right many tradition of like what he was going for with, you know, like stripes or legal eagles or twins or kindergarten cop. Um, it, it, it is very much its kind of own thing. I think you can draw a line, like a straight line from Dave to 
what Aaron Sorkin was doing with the American president and even the West Wing, this kind of like political idealism, but that it's also human and funny. And, um, you know, the point of Dave isn't that in that he like taking on the role of the president of the United States, he changes uh, the world. It's like he, he, he aspires to sort of get at this one thing, but he ends up getting sort of ironically pulled under by the the rotten politics of the man he was <laughs> he was posing as and uh ends up having just like this one little effect um in terms of uh policy that uh is later taken up by the vice president played by ben kingsley mm-hmm. um which, yeah this is a pretty uh, stacked cast just in general <laughs> oh and it like it's got like up-and-comers too like or people who were up-and-comers at the time like laura linney um and thing rames um and yeah it's like with franklin Gella is like kind of the villainous chief of staff um is really really good yeah it, it is a stacked cast and it is um it is sweet isn't it is sincere but it is also funny and um touching at times and and i mean it just uh everything kind of goes against it um because it's not something i mean other than sigourney weaver um and I guess Kevin Dunn too, because he was a, a graduate of SNL. Um, you know, there, there's kind of n- nothing that really connects it to Brightman's other body of work. It, it's it's kind of its own thing, and and unfortunately, I also think it's kind of like the last time he was able to like really fire something on all cylinders. I feel like it was, you know, diminishing returns after that. I mean, I, I don't know what's on your list. If anything, post Dave is on there, but um, I feel like. I feel like Dave was his peak and it was kind of all downhill from there, at least on the directing side, because he he is a, a very prolific producer as well. But let's get to your number two. All right. So my number two is Kindergarten Cop. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what? Everybody needs to go out and watch Kindergarten Cop because you'll be surprised <laughs> by how well it stands up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in in some ways, it was uh, dealing with, I mean, it's certainly dealing with some issues we still deal with when we talk about, so Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, becomes a <laughs> kindergarten teacher. Um, and through this, uh, both develops a heart, but also, you know, there's a there's just so much, there's so much between this man and these kindergarten students and mm-hmm. like helping them become better versions of themselves, even at five, right? And helping mm-hmm. them to deal with some really heavy stuff, which is nice, one, for you know them to realize that, yeah, even at five, like, things around kids still affects them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, stuff that's going on around them affects them, and they need strong, stable adults to, to help out with that. And, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger gets to be this. And this is one of those films where, you know, before it was sort of political comedy. This is straight up action comedy and to the point where there there's like, it's, there's a serious action. Like, mm-hmm. you know, this is, this is, you know, as, as much an action film as any of the other sort of, you know, late eighties, early nineties sort of films like mm-hmm. um, Beverly Hills cop and, and Die Hard and things like that. There's some, there's some good action in here. And then there's also this incredibly funny, and also really sweet, you know, 
stuff with Arnold Schwarzenegger. And the other thing too, of course, with this, that's nice is taking this man who is a cop. He's a manly man. He's huge. He's, you know, Mm -hmm. he's Arnold Schwarzenegger. Right. Mm -hmm. And he just softens so much. And it's just like, this is, you know, like, let's talk about how men interact with the world and with kids and, you know, with women and they can actually, they're allowed to have feelings and care about people and be nice. And they don't always have to be the drill sergeant, though sometimes being the drill sergeant helps. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so if the only thing you remember from kindergarten cop is it's not a tumor, then you absolutely have to watch this film again, because that's that's just one of like, you know, 90 other minutes of of a really good movie. Uh, yeah, uh, unfortunately, Kindergarten Cop does kind of get boiled down to it's not a Tuma, and that's uh, they're all but it, it's fascinating. Ivan Reitman was kind of the guy who understood Schwarzenegger was funny and could be funny, mm-hmm. yes, because it was twins, then Kindergarten Cop, and then uh, Junior, Junior, yeah, um, those were all Reitman joints and. Arnold has tried to do funny in other things with, I, I would say, limited success. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think he's funnier on his own in his own little like, Twitter videos than he is in some films. <laughs> yeah. Like Jingle All the Way, it, it, he's very much trying to capture that same spirit as as things like uh kindergarten cop because a lot of that is also interaction with kids as well but it just uh there's some there there was some unique alchemy with uh schwarzenegger and reitman that reitman sort of knew the right balance to hit between the comedy and um the action and uh yeah i think um I think that is one of the great things about uh, Reitman. And we'll get into that a bit later with one of my picks that he he saw talent. He knew how to use talent. Uh, for my pick, it's a film that uh, Ivan Reitman co-produced with his son, Jason. And it is an Adam Agoyan film called Chloe. Uh, it is an erotic thriller that came out in 2009. It stars uh, really great triple it in terms of uh, cast. It's got Julianne Moore, Amanda Seyfried, and Liam Neeson. And it is about uh, a call girl played by Amanda Seyfried. Uh, Julianne Moore thinks uh, that her husband, Liam Neeson, is having an affair with her. Um, And it turns out that in the process of um, trying to catch her husband in the act, um, the Julianne Moore character ends up in her own affair with the titular call girl played by Amanda Seyfried. And um, I don't, th- I, I mentioned it because it's not necessarily Adam O'Goyan's best, but I mean, it is, uh, it is interesting. It is a type of film. We sadly do not get a lot of anymore. The erotic thriller seems to be like the, <laughs> the biggest <laughs> victim of, of, you know, case in point, the new Adrian Lynn movie with Ben Affleck and, uh, Ana de Armas, which is going straight to streaming. It was supposed to come out in theaters, but uh, apparently we don't do sex in movies anymore. Um, and yeah, it, it is uh, it is provocative. It is sexy. It is um, 
it, you know, probably not terribly surprising in the directions it goes in. It very much plays into the the tropes of the erotic thriller. But um, again, it's you know, it shows Reitman as a artist was had had interests beyond um, you know just uh, the the yuckety yucks and mm-hmm. um, would would put his weight behind good material and good filmmakers and. Uh, I mean, I guess his son is kind of a, a product of that as well. I mean, you can say what you want about nepotism and maybe you should, but I mean, the J- like Jason Reitman's first three movies are Thank You for Smoking, Juno, and Up in the Air. I mean, that's 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 a hell of a hat trick uh, yeah. right out yeah. of the box. So, um, I mean, you know, definitely Reitman will be remembered for, for his comedies, but I think he was a man who was interested in all types of films and maybe he was typecast as a director. Um, maybe he could have if given some encouragement. Maybe he could have tackled some of that more complicated material. But I will say what's nice about this film, too, is that it was unapologetically set in Toronto. Yes, yes. In in the summer too, so or in in, in a temperate climate. So. Yeah, yeah. That's the beauty of when you get the you know Canadian director, Canadian producer. Yeah, we're just setting it where it is. Yeah, exactly. Um, so you're number three. Yeah. So uh, this one um, won't surprise people who have listened to this podcast in the past, oh. uh, and it is. Um, it's Ivan Reitman's, I think it's his third film. Um, if you're, you know, sort of talking about the work he did with, uh, um, uh, David Cronenberg first. Uh, so, Hmm. um, Cannibal Girls, (laughs) uh, very few people have seen this film. Um, and, and maybe rightly so hard to say, uh, it is, (laughs) it is for a specific audience and that audience is me and people like me. So Cannibal <laughs> Girls is uh, comes out of the Canucksploitation era of Canadian filmmaking, mm-hmm. where um, there were lots and lots of grants for Canadian films to be made. And most of them ended up making um, horror films or, you know, something sort of along that line. Uh, and so this this was uh <laughs> Also set 100% in Canada, but in the coldest <laughs> and snowiest <laughs> part of Canada. Um, so, and uh, starring Eugene Levy and Andrea Martin, mm-hmm. which is amazing. Just like just pre-SCTV, um, mm-hmm. just before they sort of broke as comedians. The script is really a story outline and everybody was, go ahead, fill in your own lines, which <laughs> I think you know, works and doesn't work, but also does show that Ivan Reitman very much, you know, he, and we talked about this with, with Kindergarten Cop and knowing Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, the two of them can't work together to come up with some sort of story beats. He's the kind of person who very much trusts his cast. He hired them for a reason. Mm-hmm. He hired them to be the character. So they're going to know, like, what should the character say right now? What should the character be doing? what you know and and he's that kind of director who mm-hmm. actually really you know lets lets actors do stuff um like i said the film itself probably not great if you are into um poorly made b movies <laughs> <laughs> with 
questionable plots that may or may not make sense, this is absolutely for you. Um, small town Ontario, there's sort of this like urban legendy sort of thing. There's three women who are the cannibal girls. Mm-hmm. Everybody in town knows about them. They chase men and eat them sometimes alive, sometimes cooked. <laughs> um, they're just watch out for them. They're there. You don't want to be crossing them. So no. of course, Eugene Levy and Andrea Martin have their, their car breaks down or their, their GMC van breaks down <laughs> in the middle of winter in this small town. They stay at this like, you know, hotel in bed and breakfast, whatever you want to call it. And come across these cannibal girls um, costuming impeccable. I'm pretty sure everybody was allowed to bring their own clothes and it was 1973. And these were all kids. These were like 20 something kids. So their costuming is just, it's the best thing ever. If you ever want to know what your parents or in some cases for some listeners, your grandparents looked like mm-hmm. they were, you know, your age, this is it. Um, Eugene Levy is in arguably it could be the best or the second best full length fur coat in Canadian horror movie history. Hard to say because he's up against Art Hindle's fur coat in um, Black Christmas. Yes. But uh, clearly this was the look full length fur coats on men with like hockey flow hair, just mm-hmm. so much hair, mm-hmm. that mustache. God, I love Eugene Levy. I want to see him in everything. So cannibal girls that and you know what like this is I think we did a, a an episode about favorite horror films cannibal girls mm. was on there mm. I might have put it on my favorite Canadian films mm. I, I probably put it on everything because I love this film and yeah. you oh. know what <laughs> Ivan Reitman also loves it because he uses it as Easter eggs in the future in his own films so in um, Ghost I think in the most recent Ghostbusters. Mm-hmm. It's playing at the marquee of a of a movie theater as they're running out. And sometimes you see like a movie poster in some of the other films that he makes. So he always calls back. He's like, you know what? This movie, it's great. People should watch it. I love it. It yeah. obviously filled something for him. And he keeps calling. He kept calling back to it. Yeah, no, it, it is uh, good. And it's like part of a 70s um like a 70s horror um i guess upbringing because um there was that reciprocal relationship with cronenberg that you know reitman worked on shivers and rabid um as well uh and and reitman also produced another one called death weekend and you can find it on shutter where it is just like the title just sounds ludicrous but it's one of those like (laughs) it's like death weekend yeah i could watch that (laughs) Why not? Sounds like a fun time. Sounds I might about- I might do that as soon as we're done here. <laughs> Sounds about right. Um, yeah, and my last one, I'll, I'll just mention it briefly. It, it, it is the Trailer Park Boys, the movie, um, which, you know, Rive, uh, Ivan Reitman had no role in creating Trailer Park Boys, obviously, um, but he did have a role in sort of franchising it because I think it had sort of played out by the time uh, we get to Trailer Park Boys and movie. It's a small little independent show on Showcase. When actually, interestingly, like back in Showcase's kind of grimy days um, of sort of being um, less focused on prestige and more just like cranking out like 
material that's going to just attract attention and into that atmosphere came trailer park boys um which it you know shot mockumentary style shot on a shoestring budget it could have lost a lot in the translation of the big screen and bringing in hollywood money like ivan reitman but ivan reitman uh you know again that eye for talent um just let's trailer park boys be trailer park boys um <laughs> <laughs> with all the stupid crimes and the stupid people and um but also heart it does have heart um Goodness. but uh yeah I, I think that you know he he took the trailer park boys to the next level and there's been like four trailer park boys movies they have made additional seasons of the show and now they're they're using the trailer park boys in like tv commercials for this new like sports betting app that's you know it's it's kind of distinguished because it's like kind of the first legal sports betting uh private sports betting venture that's been allowed in ontario so they of course they bring in the trailer park boys to promote it so there there is still cachet there so i i think um that also stands as i mean even going back to stripes you know that ivan reitman put bill murray and harold ramis together for the first time so um john candy too so yep. I, Ivan Reitman knows talent or he knew talent because he has sadly passed away, but uh, he will be long remembered. Cause that like, that's a, even just the six picks here. That's a hell of a catalog. That's a hell of a life in film. <laughs> so we'll have to take a break there. And speaking of life and death matters, we're going to talk about scream right after this. You are listening to end credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM CFRU.ca Guelph campus and community radio. certain rules to surviving a stab movie. Believe me, I know. Rule number one, never trust the love interest. They seem sweet, caring, supportive, and then welcome to act three where they're trying to rip your head off. Rule number two, the killer's motive is always connected to something in the past. And rule number three, and this is the most important rule, the first victim always has a friend group that the killer is a part of. Look for the killer there. If you can find out why they're doing this, you can figure out who's next. And that was a clip from Scream. It is the new film from the Radio Silence team of Matt Battinelli, Olpen, and Tyler Gillette. And it stars Melissa Barrera, Jenna Ortega, Jack Quaid, Marley Shelton, Roger L. Jackson, Courtney Cox, David Arquette, and Guelph's own Nev Campbell. That's right. (laughs) We went to the same school, but but I didn't know her. GCVI. Uh, no, Waverly. Waverly Public School. Oh. And then she left there to go to the National Ballet School. 
when she was in grade five and I was in grade four. Uh, okay. Didn't she go to GCVI too? Am I not making that up? Her brother went to GCVI. I don't know that she ever went to high school in Guelph. I think that once she went to the National Ballet School that she was she was mm. out outside of Guelph for schooling from that point forward. Uh, you may be right. I haven't thought about it in a while, though. And like I said, <laughs> clearly we did not know each other, even though <laughs> we went to the same school. We did not know each other. We are in different grades. <laughs> <laughs> I only mentioned it because I think Peter would be disappointed if it wasn't mentioned uh, because he's he, he notes it all the time. Anyway, uh, that brings us to Scream, um, not to be confused with Scream. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So obviously this fits into the mold of Halloween, not to be confused with Halloween, or I should say, because I watched it this morning, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, not to be oh. confused with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre yeah. or yeah. the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I think so. Halloween 2018 is mm-hmm. clearly called Halloween 2018. Everybody calls it that, and it's fine. I think we just call this Scream 2022. I'm okay with that. <laughs> right, right, right. I Again, I, I mentioned, because I watched it this morning, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the new one on Netflix, um, which is trying to do the things that Scream is doing, um, but fails horribly. So I was not 100% sure my thoughts about Scream uh coming out of the theater but after seeing texas chainsaw massacre with, <laughs> without the the um i i scream feel, went up suddenly I, I feel much better about it yeah that you know it's uh there is real talent behind these things in terms of uh knowing what works and what doesn't anyway uh yeah. and so what did you call it the legacy sequel you, legacy you opted sequel, you opted specifically not to use the term they introduce in the movie no I I I think Matt Singer got there first with Legacy sequel, so I that's that's what I've been going with. Okay, no requel for for Adam. Got it. No, that's that seems lazy. And- it also seems really difficult to say. I don't know if you've tried making a rrr sound with a quote sound right after it, but it's not easy. <laughs> yes, that's why Legacy sequel is is so much better. But anyway, uh, let's talk about the movie. What how did what did you think of Scream? Um, I, so I liked it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I understand what you're saying about how you came out of the theater and maybe weren't so sure because I liked about 90% of it. And then, um, without spoilers, I will say once the killers were unmasked, mm-hmm. it kind of, that's when it started, it felt a little stale. Then it was sort of like, oh, huh. Okay. Mm-hmm. It was, it was a, a little disappointing of an ending though mm. i will also say i don't know how like five movies into this i don't know how you ever make like you can't you can't there's no twist or you know killer reveal that's going to be all that different from the other ones right it, it kind of mm. has to play out the same way so mm-hmm. i guess that's not really a flaw so much but i was just like oh huh okay i mean that's sort of who i thought it was and it was okay. <laughs> yeah, there's. I, I think at this point, it's the only way, and we're gonna have a spoiler section of this. But I'll, I'll just say, like, the only way this could have really been, they could have really taken it to the next level, was to follow through in some way 
with the killer's plan to mm. to make the the head character make it look like frame her for the murders and that right. would have that would have been the real twist was if the movie ends with the heroine being taken into the custody as the assumed murderer and yeah yeah i mean the killers needn't needn't have had to survive but it would have been interesting if sort of that if the plan had come to fruition in some way Um, yeah though i will say um not that we're uh i don't think you can really uh compare scream movies to each other mm -hmm. that's just not really fair we have to just talk about it as (laughs) as its own movie but in some ways um that is what they did with scream 4 until until a further twist where they came back and actually killed the person but that is sort of how they ended what what was the the massive climax of scream four with the killer mm-hmm. actually executing their plan and and you know doing it and people believing her so uh while i don't disagree with you i think that if they did do that everyone would just be and here is the thing that's going to make it hard about talking with scream is that the movie is meta upon meta upon meta and within the movie both makes fun of itself and Mm -hmm. makes fun of the audience and every person who tries to talk about it afterwards Mm -hmm. we can come back to that but if they had (laughs) ended the film the way that you just suggested Mm -hmm. the audience would basically be like well that was just scream four that was just the same that's that's what happened they actually like it might not have been as interesting two people and they would Mm. like in in some ways there is absolutely no way to ever maybe and this is the treatise of the film there is no way to (laughs) ever make the fans happy or universally happy or universally happy with the film the way that i am where i really like the film and then the end i was like eh, the film like the ending is not as as strong as the rest of the film well in in a sense the scream series is about diminishing returns. We keep like the new killers keep coming back to this thing because they are, they have been unsatisfied with the way the story has gone previously. And this scream is adds like a, a level of toxic fandom on top of that um, as sort of like the justification. Um, And I did appreciate the very pointed Ryan Johnson gag, but (laughs) Oh yeah. Very pointed. And yeah. (laughs) But I I think that's, you know, disappointment in how things sort of turn out, even going back to like scream three and the twist in that about how the whole series to that point had been connected. I think it has been all about, you know, these stories do not go the way we want which in a sense I think is kind of like the most satisfying way to approach this, which is to say like, we know that the last 10 minutes of these things is where are like the toughest part to nail. <laughs> yeah. So, you know what, if you know, you don't like it, that's fine. We will see you next time. We've already had scream six announced, so it's fine. Um, <laughs> but it's, yeah. it's in a way, this series has always been about how we ended the last one is deeply unsatisfying. So we're going to try it again. <laughs> I don't I don't know if it's deeply unsatisfying, but um, but yeah, yeah. Like I, I come back to that whole like the, the first film, the killer reveal was like, oh, that's so clever. And part mm-hmm. of that being that Kevin Williams had, had been working on the script for you know, a decade roughly. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
like it's it was clever because there were you know hints and then like work to like make you realize your hint you know we gave you the hint so you thought that it was this person but here's the reason why it's not and it's just like over and over and over again but mm-hmm. once they came once the first film revealed their killers essentially then you went oh it can be anyone mm-hmm. which then makes all the rest of them it's like it can be anyone so i'm not going to be surprised at whoever it is because it can literally be anyone <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i i hear you on that what what i will say though is i think this is a problem that is is there with like the matrix resurrection uh movie as well is that the filmmakers are smart enough to know that doing it kind of the lazy way uh, of, I would, you know, to throw a name out there, Star Wars, The Force Awakens, <laughs> where we're just going to copy everything beat for beat. They know that it's automatically going to be unsatisfying. So they try to shake things up, but there is like a plateau that you can only shake things up so far um, without having to lean back on some of the things that made the thing interesting in the or innovative in the first place. And the Matrix Resurrections was that to an extent, um, introducing some very meta concepts early on, but it ends up playing out kind of as you would expect a Matrix movie would. And I think it's much the same thing with Scream. There's a lot of interesting ideas and a lot of interesting back and forth. And like there are some really neat scenes um, in the the party scene where they're watch uh, one of the characters is watching the stab movie which is the movie in a movie based on screen <laughs> but it's the scene uh, where the that is almost a copy of the the scene from scream where ghostface is sneaking up behind and she's talking at the movie t- telling the character well, look behind you look behind you look behind you and then it clicks and she looks yeah. behind her and you know that there's kind of there's some kind of ingenious stuff like that that i i kind of appreciated that yeah you, you think you are smarter than that, almost. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What I did love about that. So the Scream series had Randy originally in the first mm-hmm. two as the, he was, he was really what was providing the meta commentary on what was happening. So, mm-hmm. um, and then I, I will say that once he was killed in number two, spoiler mm-hmm. alert for a, <laughs> 25 year old film by the way um that's so why he, was, he never came back yeah once he was killed in number two i do think they sort of realized you know come number three and number four they're like oh mm-hmm. wait it's really hard to make these films now since we actually killed well, not we but you know kevin williamson <laughs> the royal we yeah. yeah we killed the person who actually made the thing kind of what it is and so how do we how do we do this again um and so i think they they really struggled with that so in this new one of course they essentially do reintroduce randy into the story Mm -hmm. through um his his niece and nephew Mm -hmm. um and so it's it's great and i didn't really think of this so much back in the day when i was watching the first two but with this one particularly with that scene um as you say while Mindy is watching Stab, (laughs) so watching the, you know, character playing her uncle on the couch, yelling at 
uh, Jamie and Halloween going, look yeah. behind you, look behind you. Look. <laughs> and so she's doing the same thing. And I was just like, oh, how often do we get a character who actually knows they're in a movie? And that is what Mindy is. She is a character. And so was Randy, right? They knew that they were in a movie. Mm-hmm. And so it makes me sort of think about my own life. I'm like, oh, <laughs> do I know if I'm in a movie? Because I watch a lot of horror movies. Spoiler alert. Not sure if anyone knows. I watch a lot of horror movies. And of course, <laughs> like, that's the thing with horror movies. Because you're always telling people, you're like, oh, my God, what are you doing? You should do this. And then. I don't do those things. I do the exact opposite. I, I do what a normal human would do when I'm confronted with some sort of situation. And that's not what you should ever do in a horror movie. So I don't even know that I'm in a movie, apparently. But yet, here's Mindy, who knows she's in a movie. Which I mean, this is the thing with this movie, when I say it's meta upon meta upon meta, mm-hmm. which is funny because we also talked about this with Tick, Tick, Boom. Yeah. But um, there were parts of this movie that just graded me a little bit that I was like, okay, we get it. Mm-hmm. We get it. You're making fun of your own series and tropes, and you're even making fun of your own movie as it's happening right now. Mm-hmm. This makes you like that much better than you know previously when they were just making fun of other things, not necessarily the movie they were in. So now mm-hmm. you've added the making fun of the movie you're in as it's going on. We get it. I can't even think of any specific examples, but there are a few times that I was just like, Okay, one step too far. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of that with how easily the characters kind of turn on each other. Um, you know, from from the beginning where the, the Jenna Ortega character is the one who's attacked and survives, which is, is kind of a, like an immediate twist because the, 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 the introductory character, uh, I think this is the first time they've survived the intro and um, continue to be a part of the movie. Um, there's an immediate sort of like we are all suspects and in the original scream it's like randy as as you said pointing out to like everyone is acting like this is normal life but randy is like no this is a movie and we are all suspects and all the kids in this are automatically like okay i'm hercule poirot you all are suspects and i have to figure out which one of you is the killer um and and I think that goes a little too far. On the other hand, I mean, there's there's an interesting lack of preciousness too. Um, there's a legacy character who's murdered about halfway through. And um, first of all, this is the most gory of the screams. Um, mm-hmm. And and that murder of that character is particularly gory. And there's a moment where Ghostface leans over and says, "It's been an honor." before finishing that character off and it, it kind of gave me chills yeah like, the, the, that was that was i think the meta text working in the movie's favor although i agree there are times when um it is it, it feels like it it is shoving <laughs> shoving its own self-awareness down your throat yeah now i will say um so I watched this movie in the mm-hmm. theater on mm-hmm. the first day in Ontario that movie theaters were reopened. Mm-hmm. Um, I, so I went to go see it uh, quite a few weeks ago now, actually. <laughs> and I, I haven't seen it a second time. So um, I have watched a number of YouTube videos over the last few days to kind of like refresh my my memory. And there is one that I watched that talks about 
some of these things, right? Mm-hmm. And how um, in in some ways, some of the things that maybe we think are overdone or not, not as clever mm-hmm. is specifically because the killers themselves think that they're clever enough to mm-hmm. make a better Scream movie. Mm-hmm. And they're not, as mm-hmm. the movie actually proves by the end of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... You know, this this video is then saying like, here, this thing here, where, you know, we all as the audience are like, that was sort of whatever, because Mm. the actual killers aren't that clever to actually Mm. have come up with a better idea than Mm -hmm. what was executed in the film that we are watching because they're not smart enough to do more like, Mm -hmm. oh, that's an interesting way to look at it. (laughs) I mean, that could be it, too. It's. I mean, <laughs> the whole thing with that. Like, how meta do you want to get? Yeah. Well, and the whole thing with like stab eight, it's just the, the few clips of it we see where it's like a metal ghost, metal faced ghost face with a flamethrower and the yelling, this is so lit. It, <laughs> yeah, it was. I thought that was purposefully bad until I, again, I watched Texas Chainsaw Massacre <laughs> and there's literally a scene where somebody's Pope, where Pope, uh, aiming their phone or at, making a video on their phone, aiming it at Leatherface, so going, you do anything, bro, and you're going to be canceled. And it's like, okay, we get it. It's the 2020s and cancels a thing. But th- I mean, I don't think that's how you react when someone gets on your party bus with a wearing a wearing somebody else's face and carrying a bloody blood soaked chainsaw. But you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> we're kind of in the last 10 minutes of the show. So um, we're going to declare this a spoiler section. So if you want to see Scream and don't want to know who the killers are, especially, um, we'll see you next time. But um, <laughs> if, if, if you're willing to risk it, um, we, we still do have 10 minutes left in the show. So we're going to make this a spoiler section. And you wanted to talk spoilers, Candace, so uh, let her rip. Yeah, so um, I, I do have two specific things about who was chosen to be the killers in this mm-hmm. film. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're both, well, no, they're not both. They're actually, one is about both of them and one is about a specific one. So first, <laughs> um, there is a significant age difference between these two characters who we are told by the end of the film mm-hmm. are a couple mm-hmm. and absolutely nothing is said about that within mm-hmm. the text of the film and i don't know how i feel about that mm-hmm. um so uh yeah so um jack quaid's character is older he is uh you know, presumably at least six years older, he's dating the older sister. And we're, we're sort of told the age difference between the the two sisters Mm -hmm. and everybody else are high school students. And the other killer Amber is a high school student. Mm -hmm. So this is clearly a man and not Mm -hmm. like, you know, he's like 19 or 20 dating a 16 year old, which is still a problem, but no, Mm -hmm. this is like, (laughs) <laughs> An adult man well into his 20s with a young high school girl. And I was just like, oh, we're just going to throw this out here and not like 
and it's yeah. just there like that's it yeah. there's no like uh, why how how did this happen why did did nobody sort of say hey you know what it doesn't really work that they're a couple because there's like a problem here that we either have to address or we have to make them not a couple like mm-hmm. that that sort of was weird to me i was just like whoa and it was literally the first thing i said to a friend when we finished watching the film i was like there was a weird age thing here that was completely, <laughs> completely not addressed. Yeah. One like remotely, which I was like, what, what was that? There was something that was weird that I, and I think that that was, that was a, a flaw that, that could have been fixed. And I think actually really needed to be fixed specifically mm-hmm. in this day and age. Right. Like maybe it would have been fine if this was the nineties version of scream, but it's not. And we are in a different place now. And that sort of thing. I was like, Whoa, okay. No, like mm-hmm. something, something needed to, to be said or done about this. Mm-hmm. The other thing is also sort of relationship based about who the killers are because it seemed clear to me. And I'll say from the meta text, but not from like, not, not meta in the way that you know, things reference themselves, but from the meta text, as in reading between the lines mm-hmm. and the acting, that mm-hmm. there was a relationship more than friendship between Sam, uh, Amber and Tara. Mm-hmm. I was like, this is, was clearly on the page and in their acting, in the way that they're acting, mm. but yet also nothing was there and I, I will say i have found out since that within the actual um in the actual script or, or some version of the script it does actually reference the fact that they are girlfriends mm-hmm. but so when i was watching it i was just like okay amber is clearly into tara i don't know if tara is into amber and then later as the film went on i was like okay tara is into amber mm-hmm. like what why are we are we going to address this and i think that that would have that would have also made it stronger that amber was the killer at the end mhm mhm yeah um it is sort of curious uh, about the, the the detail that the extra inhaler is at amber's house uh, yeah. of, of all places uh yeah i think i think both those points are fair i also in, in terms of the first point about the age difference thing i i think that's one of those things that i don't think the writers cared about because it it was the ending they were after yeah um and i don't think they were thinking about the <laughs> the the proverbial ickiness of course uh interestingly there is a scene where jenna ortega is watching dawson's creek <laughs> Uh, first season Dawson's Creek by the looks of it, which also had a famous, um, you know, bad, like in, in hindsight, not a great storyline about teacher seducing student. Uh, yeah, I think both of those are fair points. Uh, in terms of my spoiler talking points, I want to highlight, uh, first of all, I don't know if there was de-aging on Skeet Ulrich or if they were using like archival footage or like something, but if it was de-aging, that was pretty awesome. Um, because if you look at Skeet Ulrich now, uh, he looks like old leather, no disrespect, <laughs> but <laughs> exactly the handsomest type of old leather. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it, it, you know, it's like baby face, 1996 Skeet Ulrich. So um, that was a great addition. Um, 
I did like uh, having uh, now Sheriff Judy uh, back, mm-hmm. um, sadly, all too briefly. Um, but yeah, it, it is. Also, I, I did appreciate that there is an Easter egg in there that uh, that Kirby, the, the Hayden Penetier character from Scream 4, did survive. Yes. Um, thank you for that. <laughs> yes, everybody, everybody wanted that. That was very much the... Um... That was the J.J. Abrams part of of <laughs> the, the fan service uh, delivery. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I kind of, if if I were to dissect the ending, I, I, I do still think that it. Appreciating your point about Scream Four, I feel like this really would have gotten somewhere if it ends with Sam. Um, being outed as the daughter of the originating serial killer, um, you know, and th- there's a scene where she kills uh, West, the um, not West, um, whoever Richie. her boyfriend, Richie. Richie thank you, yeah. her boyfriend, Richie, Jack Quaid. Yeah. Um, you know, where she like, she doesn't just like kill him so Ooh, that he she hauls her off on him. Yeah, she unloads. That's yeah. uh, <laughs> that's yeah. you know, forty wax with a wet noodle stabbing. But um, you know, it, it's it's conceivable. I think that you know, that's a a, a more. I, and I I don't know what they have planned because they were able to greenlight Scream Six pretty quickly. So mm-hmm. I assume that Radio Silence has some ideas. But um, I just feel like we kind of end this. <laughs> coming back to like yeah. the disappointed ending we come back to to the ending and it's everything status quo we survived another scream adventure and i assume that the the torch is passed to melissa barrara from this point on and um mm-hmm. maybe maybe gail and sydney get a break but <laughs> yeah yeah i'm i'm pretty sure this is it that was their farewell and then we're mm-hmm. on to now um mindy and and tara and sam mm-hmm. um and just like on that whole, the Skeet Ulrich and the the Sam, um, you know, as, as she sort of explodes in violence, I really <laughs> quite liked that. And as a person who has had people in my life who um, deal with schizophrenia and with hallucinations, I thought this was very well handled. And mm-hmm. I really liked this, this introduction and, you know, both her fear that she may hurt a person and then when given the opportunity to hurt a person went very dark um and i think that there's an interesting thing there that maybe they can do something with that um and hopefully do it in a way that is uh uh not um building more stigma right (laughs) but we'll see about that who knows i think that's that's a fair point too but we'll have to leave that there uh, for now until Scream 6 uh, and that's it for this week's show we hope you liked it if you want to listen to it again you can find it on our website at endcreditsradioshow.com you can download us from the Guelph Politicast channel every Friday at Podbean or through your favorite podcast app at Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn and Spotify when you're on Spotify you can find the playlist for much of the music that you hear on End Credits just search for End Credits on CFRU and Spotify you can find us on social media on Facebook at End Credits Radio Show and on Twitter at End Credits Radio and Candice where can people find you on the radio or the internet I should say or the radio well, wherever. on the radio you can find me on Wednesdays <laughs> at 3 on CFRU um, 
So on the internet, you can find me everywhere at SIN48, C-I-N-N-4-8. Um, Adam has mentioned that maybe people don't know what Letterbox is. So Letterbox is a great tool that talks, you know, where you, you log all of your movies. And so if you want to see what else I'm watching outside of Cannibal Girls and Scream, you can follow me on Letterbox. Duh. There's a D there. Letterboxd.com at SIN48. Okay. And I will be back here on CFRU tomorrow at 5 p.m. with news and politics on Open Sources Golf with Scotty Hertz. In the meantime, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson, and you can check out my news and politics site at GuelphPolitico.ca. And stay tuned for more great programming here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. We shall return next Wednesday at 3 p.m. for more end credits, and we will see you then. Thank you.